Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to RUF. Glad to have you here. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm the RUF campus minister. Uh, I, I just want to say, I want to say welcome, and I really mean that. I know that there's a lot going on. I know people are sick and getting over sickness, and the pace has picked up, and uh, you have a lot of places you could be spending your time right now. So thanks for being here, for uh, worshiping with us, uh, for now listening as we gather around God's Word. We're, we're talking this semester about joy about uh, the best feeling there is, about that experience of delight and exhilaration and celebration and goodness and contentment uh, that we usually just get tastes of, but that we long for and that God has made us for. And we're looking through Philippians and we're asking this question, how do we experience joy? And the answer is that we experience it in God. And so we're looking at different ways that that happens. We talked last week about experiencing joy by participating in a shared story. And we're going to continue in Philippians 1 now. So uh, if you have your Bible or your handout or a device, if you could have Philippians 1, we're looking at verses 12 through 18. It'd be great if you could have it in front of you. <clears throat> Philippians 1, 12 to 18, says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Would you pray with me? And we'll get started. Father, we're so grateful for this night. So grateful for the joy of getting to hear our voices together raised in song to you. Thank you for good truths to sing about. You're worthy of our praise. Lord, as we turn to your word, I pray that your spirit would be at work in it to change our hearts so we might love you more and love each other more. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm really into Planet Earth, the, the BBC kind of eco-biography story that you, you, can, you can see on Netflix. There's actually Planet Earth 2 now, which I have started making my way through, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of my favorites is the Jungles episode. Uh, and in the Jungles episode, there's this whole, like, five-minute section on this one type of ant called a bullet ant. Uh, and these uh, ant colonies just just flourish. There's just millions and millions of them in, in any given colony. And they, they live uh, kind of in the trees and come down to the ground to gather food and they go up to the trees. Uh, and these ants have a deadly enemy. And this enemy is not a, is not a predator. Uh, this enemy is not even a disease. This enemy is this parasitic spore uh, that somehow gets released in the vicinity of these ants and as, as they come in contact with this, uh, this fungus really it, it penetrates and infiltrates into their bodies and into their minds and it starts to grow inside them and it takes over their brain and makes them climb up as high as they can go in the trees Uh, And as this thing grows inside them, don't freak out, this is not going to happen to you, okay? As this thing grows inside them uh, and consumes them, it kills them, and eventually this uh, fungus grows out of the top of the ant's head 
into this like flowering blossom of fungus. And eventually, when it's done, the tip of this bursts forth and releases these like spores and it affects every other ant in the vicinity. Okay, so it's a pretty tough situation, right? <laughs> and uh, for if you're an ant, at least. And uh, so what, what happens is that if you are a healthy ant and you come across an infected ant, uh, what they do is they actually pick them up and they carry them away, away from the colony, and they dump them uh, somewhere far away from the colony so that they won't infect the rest of the colony. And the bad news for these uh, you know, brave protector ants is that in the process of carrying the infected ant, they, of course, get infected themselves. And so they end up dying very close to where they dropped off the ant. Now, I, I do not believe that individual ants are, are very intelligent. And so my point is not to you know, celebrate the heroic efforts of these uh, Lone Ranger ants who have taken it upon themselves to protect the colony. It's not, it's not actually about individual heroics. It's actually the exact opposite because uh, an ant in, in these colonies, there is a sense. If it was people, we would call it a culture, but they have a priority as a community that is all about not the individual, but about protecting what is good for the rest of the colony. And that's why it's built into their DNA that when they see something that's a threat to the colony, they get rid of it. They have no concept at all about what it will do to their individual circumstances. They have no concept at all that they're going to be in trouble if they do this. And so as demeaning as it sounds, I want to suggest to you tonight that we actually could learn a lot from looking at ants. I think we can learn a lot because for most of us, for most of the time, our perspective on life is totally wrapped up in our individual circumstances. And when things in our life are good, we're doing good. And when things in our life are bad, we're doing bad, right? That's pretty basic stuff, right? But the problem is that for most people, and especially people like you, who are at Washington and Lee University, which is an achievement and success factory, this becomes very, very hard to do. And we're absolutely terrified of things in our life going wrong. We're terrified of bad things happening to us because we're terrified of losing our joy. And so we're actually really scared to endure any kind of circumstance in our life that is painful or that is embarrassing or that is awkward or that makes us feel embarrassed or bad in any kind of way. And so we work really hard to make sure that we never fail a test that we never get broken up with, that we never get embarrassed when we're put on the spot, that we never get rejected for a job. And when these bad things do happen to us, things kind of start to crumble, don't they? Because the bad news for you is that uh, these things all happen, right? And if that doesn't happen, you're going to get the flu, which is going to totally shut you down, and there's like nothing you can do about it, right? And so we spend our whole lives trying to Avoid these painful situations that are beyond their control. If, and, of course, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on, even away from this world. The ways us down with all kinds of pain and grief, right? The death of a friend or a family member, parents going through separation and divorce. There's all kinds of things going on. But we can't avoid it no matter how hard we try. And so for most of us, what we do is we tend to uh, ignore it, ignore the pain and the bad feelings, or else pretend like they're not there. This is where like your friends can ask, can ask you about what happened. And you're like, you know what? Honestly, it's for the best. I'm totally fine. I, I'm moving forward. And then we go in our room and we close the door and we like get on the floor and cry by ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. Or we try to numb the pain and we distract ourselves with busyness or partying or achieving in some other realm of life that we can control 
a little better and to distract ourselves from the pain that we're feeling through. All this stuff does, it all is actually stealing our joy. It's all stealing our joy because we're putting our life and our hope in our circumstances and what happens to us. In our passage today, what it's going to do is it's going to confront this fear we have of losing our joy. It's going to confront this fear we have that things in our life might not always go great, which is actually really good news for us. And what we're going to learn how to do is we're going to start to, to train ourselves to position our lives, uh, not in light of our own circumstances, but in light of God's good purposes. And when we do that, even in the midst of things that are hard and painful, we're going to find that we actually can still experience joy, which is good news for you, and it's good news for me. So we're going to look at this in, in two ways tonight, uh, two ways that we train ourselves to do this. The first is that we reposition our circumstances in light of God's good purposes, and the second is that we reposition our desires in light of God's good purposes. So first, we reposition our circumstances. Uh, it, it's helpful at this point to remember the circumstances that the writer of this book, Paul, was in when he wrote this. This is a guy who has uh, been arrested, and we don't know the exact, exactly what happened, but he says everybody knows that he is in, his imprisonment is for Christ. And so what we, can, what we can assume is that he refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord and insisted that Jesus is Lord and so was thrown into prison. And as you, as you probably can imagine, even though Paul doesn't dwell on this because it's not about him, you know, conditions in jail 1,900 years ago were not very good. They're not, they're not good now, are they? Certainly weren't good then. In fact, they, they didn't even give you food. You were dependent on other people giving you money and giving you food or else you would starve to death. So, so not only are his actual conditions uh, really painful, really scary, really unfortunate, this is a guy whose, whose whole life, whose whole passion, whose whole desire, whose whole calling is to be like a traveling preacher. Like he goes from town to town to town preaching the good news of God's love for us in Christ. And now he's stuck. He can't go anymore. It'd be like cutting off the fingers of a painter. It'd be like sticking the feet of a marathon runner in concrete. I mean, can you imagine being prohibited from doing the thing that you desire and love most in the world? Can you imagine the kind of frustration, the kind of envy, the kind of anger, the kind of bitterness and disappointment that you would be feeling? If you couldn't do what you most love to do. Most of us haven't experienced something as dramatic as having our fingers cut off or as being thrown in jail. But I think we can relate to the reality that we have obstacles in our life, right? We have things in our life that are not going the way we want them to go, that are in the way of our happiness, that are in the way of our plan. And so I I, want to ask you, what are those things for you tonight? What are the things in your life that are are not going the way you wanted, that are not going the way you planned, that feel like they are an obstacle to your happiness? They feel like they're an obstacle to your joy. Maybe it is the flu. Maybe it is just the the pressures and weight of academic and social life here at WL. Maybe it's mistakes you've made in the past that you can't seem to get over. Maybe it's something going on at home that's weighing you down. Maybe rush didn't go how you wanted it to go. And you're putting a smile on, but deep inside you wish you're someone else. I I don't know what it is for you. But I want you to think about it for just a second. I want you to have that thing in your mind. Because what God's word is calling us to do is, is to train ourselves to deal with the obstacles in our life in a very particular way. Not in a way that ignores them. 
not in a way that pretends they're not there, not even in a way that solves all of our problems, but in a way that repositions our circumstances so that we start to see them in light of God's grander story and purposes. Because what we're talking about here is we're talking about cultivating a, a robust sense of trust that God is good and he is at work, even in the midst of our obstacles, even in the midst of our challenging circumstances. It makes me think of the story of Joseph from the Bible. Do you remember the story? And it's in the kind of the last quarter of Genesis. Joseph was the youngest son of Jacob, the youngest of 12 sons, and he was his father's favorite. And it made his older brothers jealous. And his father gave him this fancy coat of many colors, and it made his brothers jealous. And he was able to, he, he told his brothers about these dreams that they would bow down before him, and it made them jealous. And so they fake his death and sell him as a slave into Egypt. And even though Jacob does, sorry, even though Joseph does nothing wrong, he gets, uh, he's a slave, he gets wrongfully accused, and he gets thrown in prison. Things in his life are not going so well, but the Lord is with him, and the Lord gives him favor so that everything he does works out perfectly. Everything he does is fruitful. Everything he does prospers. And, and eventually this elevates him to the point where the Pharaoh, the king, has basically made him lord over the whole land of Egypt. And he interprets this vision from the Lord and, and discovers that there's going to be these seven years of famine following these seven years of plenty. And so during the seven years of plenty, he orders that everyone would store up grain. And then when the seven years of famine come, a, a season where most of the people in a country at that time would die, he saves the world. Because he was in Egypt. Because his brother sold him into slavery. And at the, and the very end in Genesis 50, there's this really emotional scene where he's with his brothers and they, they, they you know, thought he was long dead probably. And they're, they're terrified that he's going to be angry with them. And he says, uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He has this trust that even in the midst of hard things, God is at work and he is good. The, the best example, of course, is the Lord Jesus who was betrayed by his disciple, who was abandoned by all his closest friends, who was arrested even though he had never, ever done anything wrong. He was mocked, he was tortured, and he was murdered. And they certainly meant it for evil, didn't they? And God used it for the unimaginable good of bringing salvation and forgiveness to all who would believe. And that pattern of God working good in the midst of what seems to be evil is actually true for you and is true for me. In Romans 8, the same author of this, he says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. Sickness, anxiety, rejection, failure, breakups, disappointment. Those are actually the thing God uses for our good. Do you believe it? Paul says, I want you to know that what has happened to me, which is being put in prison for my faith in Christ, God has used it for good. Because now this whole Praetorian Guard, this, this whole group of soldiers, they all have heard the message of the gospel now. They know I'm in here for Jesus. And not only that, but other people, other believers are hearing about what's happened to me, and it's making them bold, and they are speaking about Jesus with no fear. Paul's repositioned his circumstances to see them in light of God's bigger purposes. 
that good has come from it. Which means that when we face obstacles in our life, and we all do, whether you are facing major obstacles right now or you're in a season where things are going well, a season of famine or a season uh, of plenty, what we have to do is train ourselves to resist our gut reaction when things go wrong. Our gut reaction that is usually self-pity, that is usually anger, that is usually resentment, that's usually jealousy pointed towards somebody else. We have to take control of that, and we have to instead learn to ask a question. So for some of you tonight, you need to ask God this question. The question is this, uh, God, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. Will you please show me how you're going to use it for good? This does not mean you're not allowed to grieve the broken things in your life. You should. But it means that those things don't get to take away your joy Because you actually have an opportunity to see one of the best things that you will ever experience, which is God being good to you and through you in the midst of the hardest things you'll ever go through. He he will do it. A lot of you guys have experienced this, right? God's faithfulness in the midst of things that you didn't expect. And it brings us joy because he is so good. He's as close as he gets when we are in the darkest places. We experience joy in the midst of pain as we reposition our circumstances to see God at work bringing about his good purposes. The second way we experience joy is to reposition our desires. So so here's what Paul's going through. This is the second part of this passage. Paul has been uh, preaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus, and so have other people. And some people have done that because uh, they admire Paul's defense of the gospel and because they love Jesus too. But other people have done it because they just want to look pious but they're really not. They just want to seem important, but they don't really care. And apparently some of them are doing it just to be spiteful to Paul. It's as if people are saying, have you heard what that crazy guy Paul was saying? He's saying that Jesus was the son of God and he's raised from the dead. Can you believe that? What an idiot. And you would expect, if we were in a situation like that, Bitterness, hurt, resentment, anger. And what does Paul say? He says, whatever the reason, whatever the reason, Jesus is being proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. Sometimes I I feel like you guys can't ever really know me because you didn't grow up with 90s pop music. (laughs) Were any of you alive in 1996? Okay, a couple. A few, you got a few seniors. Whew, thank you. In 1996, the uh, immortal pop group, the Spice Girls, came out with a song that became an instant classic. I'm, I'm sure this is a song that's still played in fraternity basements and windfall parties called Wannabe. One word. Uh, and this song, uh, Wannabe, is all about the question, what do you want? So when it starts, oh, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. You know what I'm talking about? So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Uh, and of course, it ends with this: "I want to really, really, really want to zig a zig ah." And no one knows what that means. It's one of like the last great mysteries of the universe. But but what this whole song is about is this whole song is about asking a boy, like asking a man, like, "What do you want?" Because if you want something, you have to back it up. If you want to be my lover, you got to be cool with my friends, right? If you say you want something, you got to back it up. You got to live. You got to live. As if it were true. Your life has to 
reflect it. You have to back it up. And the Spice Girls are really just saying what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. And thankfully, every once in a while, we have voices to help, you know, to remind us. If you say you want something, you have to back it up. And as you back it up, as you live it out, you come, you actually, your desire is increased. And so the fulfillment of that desire actually becomes something that's more and more joyful. And we struggle with our desires all the time. One of the questions that, that we constantly wrestle with as a, as a Christian, I'm, I'm sure not everybody here tonight is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, one of the things that we struggle with is, uh, are our desires good? Like, do we, do we want the right things? Do we want the things that are of God? And, and of course, a, a lot of the time, if we're honest, the, the, the answer has to be no, right? A lot of things we want are temporary pleasures and ego-boosting affirmations of reputation or worldly success, material success. And so one of the things that, that we have to wrestle with is, is what do we want? Do we want the right sorts of things? Because it's actually God's good purposes that should form what we desire. And until God's purposes form what we desire, we're at risk of getting exactly what we want. We're actually at risk of getting temporary pleasures and material wealth and ego-boosting affirmations and good reputations. And, and the bad news there is that as you get that, you'll find that you always need a little bit more. It's like a drug. It never, ever leaves you satisfied. And so what we have to learn how to do is to train our hearts to desire things that are in line with God's good purposes. Because when we do, that's when we get to experience joy. Because that's what we're made for. Because that's the stuff that's actually good. And God's good purpose is this, is to reveal his love and himself to the world. That's his purpose. His purpose is to reveal himself and his love to the world. That's actually the thing that should shape our desires. That's actually the thing we want to use to reposition what it is that we really, really want. Okay? So, so here's a, the big challenge that comes with this. We, we, and we started to talk about this last week. The big challenge that comes with this is that one of our chief desires should be more and more in light of this for people around us to hear the goodness of the message of God's love for us in Christ proclaimed. It means that if you say you believe in God and you love him, you have to back it up. And the way that we do that is to accept this challenge to care, to want, to desire for his message to be proclaimed more and more around us. There's good news and bad news to this, okay? The good news is, is that as you grow in boldness, as you grow in being able to do this without fear, like Paul says people are doing, you're going to experience joy that you don't even know because your desires are being positioned in light of God's good purposes. You're actually becoming more and more of the kind of human you are made to be, and it's going to fill you with joy. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. It's totally terrifying, isn't it? It's just totally terrifying to think about increasing the way that we talk about Jesus to the people around us. It's really scary. And not only is it just generally scary, uh, your world around you tells you that you're not supposed to do that sort of thing. Because the, the hidden message underneath the skin of our culture is that every person is absolutely free to do and be and say whatever they want. 
as long as they don't infringe upon anyone else's absolute freedom to do and be and say whatever they want. And when you tell someone else that they should believe something, you are infringing upon their freedom. Do, do you feel that? I, I feel that. I feel like we're not supposed to do that. But God says joy is actually going to come when we start to reorient, reposition our desires to conform not to something that the world says, but to God's good purposes and his good purposes to reveal himself and his love to the world. My, my sense is that we're, we're, we're afraid to do this because we're afraid it will lead us into uncomfortable circumstances. We're afraid it will lead us into painful circumstances. See where I'm going here? We're afraid it's going to do the thing we've been talking about the first, the first half of tonight. We're afraid it's going to become an obstacle to our life. And so we have to remind ourselves that we have to reorient our whole circumstances to remember that it's not just about our life. It's not about our story. It's about this grander purposes of God, and they are good. I, I think when we, when we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about evangelism, basically what, what happens is that we're too scared to do it or we don't really know how, and so we don't. And so we hope nobody brings it up like I'm doing right now, but when somebody does, we just sort of like have that vague feeling of disappointment and guilt, and then we hope it'll go away and he'll make a funny joke and talk about something else in a second, right? So uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to give you guys uh, two practical suggestions for ways that we might grow in our boldness in sharing the gospel. And, and I'm, and I'm going to do this because... I think it will make you experience more joy because it conforms you to God's heart and his desires and his good purposes. That's what you're made for. And as those things are fulfilled, you'll experience more and more joy, okay? So I'm going to give you two suggestions, and then I'm going to challenge you to do each of these things once this week, okay? I'm going to challenge you to do this. Okay, here's the first, here's the first way. By the way, this is not going to be a life-altering ideas and strategies you've never heard, okay? It's not. The first thing is this. The first thing is called the invitation, and it goes like this. Hey, friend, I go to, R- I go to RUF on Tuesday nights, or I go to church on Sunday mornings, I go to Young Life Bible Study, and the, whatever it is, okay? Hey, I go to RUF, and uh, it's really fun. We, we sing some songs, and there's a message from the Bible, and we hang out together. I, honestly, I really enjoy it. It's really encouraging. I, I think you might enjoy it, too. Would you want to come with me sometime? Have you insulted that person? <clears throat> Have you passed any assumptions or judgments on them? Have you told them anything about who they are as a person? Nope. You've invited them to something. Some of you have probably done this, and uh, it's people have come. Some of you are here tonight because someone did that to you. So glad you're here. Some of you have invited someone, and they say, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I totally love to. I'm just, like, super busy this week. Uh, ask me next week. And you do, and eventually you just stop asking, right? Ask them again this week. Invite somebody to something. Tell them what it is. Tell them why you like it. And ask them to come with you. Okay, that's the first thing. The, se- the second strategy is this. It's, it's to build a bridge between who God is and who another person is. And what this is doing is noticing something about somebody else that reminds you of God and telling them about it. It's like saying, hey, I noticed you hanging out with those freshmen and like really looking out for them. I just thought that was awesome. Honestly, it reminded me of how much God cares about me when I don't know what's going on. And I just wanted to tell you, that really encouraged me. So thanks for doing that. It's telling someone, hey, I saw one of your drawings. I thought it was totally beautiful. 
Like it's, it's so cool that you're using your gifts to make something like good and beautiful. Honestly, it reminded me of the way God like intricately put together the beauty of this world. I just thought that was so cool. I just want to tell you that. What have you done to that person? You've complimented them. Have you made any assumptions or passed any judgments on them? Have you offended them? You haven't. Now, the reality is that the gospel of Jesus actually is offensive, isn't it? Because as you get into these conversations, one of the things that we have to get to at some point is the reality that we need a Savior. That because we are sinful and broken, we are guilty before God and we need to be forgiven. And that's offensive. That's telling someone else that there's something wrong with them. We do not start there. Don't start there. You don't have to start there. You're allowed to make a connection. You're allowed to make a friendship. You're allowed to give an invitation. You're allowed to build a bridge. And so I want to challenge you to do each of those things once this week. To invite somebody to something and tell them why. And, and to make a connection. To, to, to notice something in their life that reminds you of God. This would be good practice for you to do this in other people anyways. And then tell them about it. That's my challenge to you. Why should you do this? Because you'll experience joy when you do. I honestly believe that. I think you'll experience joy when you do, when you train yourself to reposition your desires in light of God's good purposes. Because as you do that, the very act of sharing will be fulfilling what you want. And so it will bring you joy no matter what happens, even if it leads you into dark places. Because his purposes are good. He wants to extend his light and his goodness and his truth to every corner of the world. And he loves you. And he is at work in you and in everyone that you see so much so that even difficult circumstances are opportunities to see his goodness at work. And even awkward conversations are occasions for joy because of how much he loves us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that your purposes are good, that you want to reveal to us how much you love us, how much you care about us, the lengths through which you have gone to save us and to redeem us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see uh, our circumstances, even our pain, as opportunities to experience your goodness in the midst of darkness, to work all things, all things together for our good. And I pray that you would make us bold to share the truth of who you are and what we believe, and that you would overcome our hesitations with the joy that comes from having our truest, most perfect desires fulfilled. And you're with us in those things because your purposes are good. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.